It's just after midnight, Monday, January 17th, 2022. You are listening to the Midnight Ride Podcast with Connor Coughlin and Paul Runyon. Paul, how was your week? Well, lots going on. You know, an interesting thing happened to me the other night. I think this was back on on Wednesday. I get back to the house and uh, I hear this like strange clicking sound coming from the kitchen. And, you know, I think, you know, Connor, you and I are not necessarily um, in the mainstream when it comes to the mainstream media. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, is this part of that new uh, DOJ domestic uh, <laughs> task force? Are we getting spied on? And I'm like, what's going on? And uh, I go over and I open the, the garbage and there's a mouse in the garbage. So <laughs> staring right, at, right up at me, cute little wow. guy. I know, right? He, he's just standing there in fear. And, you know, I'm like, shoot, what do I do? He gets kill away. With, kill it with your bare hands. I know. I What do I do? I'm like, do I put him outside? Do I kill him with my bare hands? Do I call it? You know, I have a rodent control company. So they usually come. A lot of good that does, right? It's I'm, They're supposed to keep that stuff out of the house. Anyway, I took care of it myself. I'm not going to say how I did it. But uh, I, I am a, uh, a God-fearing American that loves the Constitution. And that's all I'll say about that. Well, I've been in your kitchen. And I know that there's a lot of, as we celebrate today, the birthday of one of the greatest Americans of the 20th century, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I think it's important to talk about the embarrassing speech given by our president on Tuesday as he tries to, as we alluded to last week on the Midnight Ride, slam through with no mandate and virtually no political capital, a massive power grab that threatens to really usher in permanent authoritarianism. You want to talk about this, Paul? Well, I think what was really interesting about that speech was that all the people you expected to be there didn't show up. I mean, I think Stacey Abrams, didn't she have like a scheduling conflict? She didn't go... Uh, I think the the senators were the senators from Georgia there. I'm not I can't remember exactly who was on site, but I know many people that you would expect to be there did not show. And it was a real testament to the faith that's been lost in the president on both, you know, on his left flank and his right flank by his inability to get anything right. But as you said, I mean, this is a this federalization of voting is dangerous and to get rid of the filibuster and allowing this to go through essentially cementing one party rule forever and ever by essentially allowing the Democrats to rig the election in perpetuity is very disturbing. And, you know, let's just hope that some of the, the folks in the House and Senate, uh, Senate in particular, you know, let cooler heads prevail and say, maybe getting rid of the filibuster to bring in one party rule forever is not a very smart thing. No, I, I don't think so. I, I don't know if Senator Warnock, who I believe is up for re-election in November, um, possibly running against former New Jersey generals running back Herschel Walker and Donald Trump-backed candidate. Uh, I don't know if he was there or not. I do know that some of the usual suspects, Jesse Jackson, Reverend Al Sharpton, those sort of folks were there. I, I Well, of course they're there. I mean, they have nothing better to do and love to raise sure. money and shake down people. So but sure the, the Abrams absence was notable because really that's the one issue that she has made the centerpiece of her political aura, and she was not there. 
interestingly enough. But doesn't I, that show, I mean, if you think about it, Abrams not showing up, I mean, does that not show like how fake she is maybe? I mean, she's, you know, you think she's this, this uh, you know, real fighter for the voting rights and everything. And the president comes in to talk about the specific issue and she won't even show up because of her own political capital. Yeah, I mean, I that's a per, that's pretty telling, you know, for the kind of person she is, too. Absolutely. If I'm a dyed in the wool Democrat, I'm looking at at her as a complete fraud. And, and really, I mean, if you believe in this issue, however misguided this particular legislation is, she absolutely showed her true colors. I, I thought the tweet of the other of, of last week was the national championship game in college football division one. Uh, the Georgia Bulldogs defeating the Alabama Crimson Tide. And Stacey Abrams tweeted out as the, the horn sounded, congratulations to Georgia football, our national champions. Kudos to the exceptional student athletes. I mean, that's laughable right there. <laughs> yeah. Who battled hard to show what Georgia is made of, relentlessness and resilience. Uh, a short time later, Stephen Miller um, at Red Stees, who is a hilarious uh, – podcaster and, and often so this some- is not this is not Stephen Miller from from the Trump years no St- Stephen okay. L Miller who is a hilarious right-wing podcaster <laughs> replies to her Alabama actually won <laughs> um, so you know I thought that was a, w- a way to own her but you're right um, you know her her not being there says a lot but let's let's talk for a second about the president's speech because I think it's it shows that this man has no shame. He basically said every elected official in America has a chance to indicate what side of this issue they're on, and history will be watching. You can stand with Dr. Martin Luther King, or you can stand with George Wallace. You can stand with Abraham Lincoln, or you can stand with Jefferson Davis. And essentially, you know, he has said all along on this issue that the voter integrity laws in Georgia and some of these other states are Jim Crow on steroids. Totally well, dishonest. Know, dishonest. And then he, he goes into the fear-mongering, and he says, as an institutionalist, as somebody that served in the Senate, I believe the threat to our democracy is so grave that we must find a way to pass these voting rights bills. Debate them, vote, let the majority prevail. And if the bare minimum is blocked, we have no option but to change the Senate rules including getting rid of the filibuster uh, for this. Going back to last week when I was talking about that whole Reichstag fire thing and the, mm-hmm. the emergency powers and changing the rules to keep, keep uh, you know, the Communist Party out in power in Germany. Once again, he's trying to change the rules to create one party rule for the Democrats forever and ever. Let's be honest in what he's trying to do. He, this federal takeover and election is making a mockery of, of democracy. You can vote without an ID. If you're an illegal alien, you can go vote. Uh, which you can do in New York City. Which now, you can do in New York City, which I'm, you know, we can talk about in a minute. And I was really disappointed that Mayor Eric Adams came out in support of it. We, but, we, but, we, were, we were given Adams a chance. He didn't go a week before no. he showed that he's de Blasio <laughs> 2.0. Exactly, exactly. We, we, were, you know, we, we were somewhat positive on the guy, and just like that, boom, no different. But, but this federal takeover goes against everything the Constitution wants. It's been in the Constitution, the powers of, of, of the elections are left to the state legislatures. It's not to the federal government. 
The only way something like this should be happening, in my opinion, is through a constitutional amendment. And once another topic we're going to be talking about later, but this can't happen. I mean, this is really going to going to destroy. I mean, they then then you could get rid of the they could get rid of the electoral college. They could do whatever they want, add states, bring Listen, DC, let's... and they can change. They change the filibuster for it for this. They can change it for whatever they want, and uh, you know we could become a one party dictatorship before the twenty two midterms even even roll around. And we are about one senator away from a dystopian hellscape. I mean, because everything you just mentioned. The things that make America great. Listen, I don't think we want a situation. I think there's a lot of people out there, not not our sophisticated listeners, but a lot of people out there that would love to see nothing else other than Donald Trump as president and omnipotent ruler of the United States. And the Republicans would have total power. I mean, we saw. I mean, that would be just as scary. <laughs> it would be just as scary, right? And yeah. really, I mean, they didn't. They had that power for two years and didn't get a lot of the things we wanted done anyway, but federalism, power to the states, checks and balances, and the ability to pass sweeping legislation in the United States only with some sort of consensus is, is what makes America different from some of these other countries. And Really, I don't want to have an America where one party rules. We see that in Mexico and other places, and it's devastating. South oh. Africa, another example. And California. And California. <laughs> and so I do not believe that we can get to this point if this happens that we can survive as a country. You're going to essentially be disenfranchising half of our nation forever. Uh, and you Fortunately, know, <laughs> you know, this carving out of the filibuster. And again, these are folks, Joe Biden himself, many of the senators who are talking about doing this, uh, Senator Klobuchar and others, they have invoked the filibuster themselves time and time again. And now they're suddenly eager to carve this out. Again, and, well, and this is, and, and it, it, number one, it's a slippery slope, but they're eager to, they need to carve this out now because they know the midterms are coming and they know that they are going to get destroyed in the 22 midterm elections. I mean, it's going to be a, a Republican route is what it's looking like. And if they can change the voting laws to give themselves an advantage between now and then uh, and have it take place before 22, that's the only way they would have a shot at keeping power. Well, listen, so we, we've they're got rushing. To... They got it. They have no choice but well, to push and, and this I, right and now. And I would just caution all of those folks, and we've got a lot of listeners in blue states around the country. You need to get on the phones and call your senators. I would tell you, imagine a world, if you're a Democrat, with Donald Trump in president, with this legislature that has been ushered in by the failure of the Biden presidency in total control, and now they can undo every single one of these election laws, and we get a situation where every four years we're going back and forth if you only need 50 senators and the presidency that that's what we're looking at i want to talk we can can i just say on that with the going back and forth i mean the, the founding fathers wanted limited federal government things like the filibuster are what allow for that to happen and gridlock at the federal level is not a bad thing no it's gridlock, not gridlock allows the states to govern themselves it allows people to live in freedom. It keeps the government out of the federal government out of people's hair. You know, it's obviously our federal government is important for a lot of things, 
but this endless sort of creeping into people's private lives, all of that, if there was no filibuster, I mean, imagine what, what they could do to the IRS. Imagine what they could do to uh, domestic policing. Imagine what they could do to rights to privacy. They already carved out the filibuster for, for court nominees. Then if they do it for this, then it's only going to be a matter of time till they do it for the next thing. And then pretty soon it's gone completely. And then you essentially have a federal government that, you know, is essentially going to be much, much, much more powerful beyond what the founding fathers envisioned. And that could be a very dangerous thing when you we're already seeing right now during the pandemic, the overreach and the power that the federal government can have. And unfortunately, we have a lot of people who are just going along with it. I want to talk for a second. Imagine about- if they did. A, imagine if they did a mask mandate, 51 votes for the whole country. Imagine if they did uh, tried to do a, a, a vote of Congress, 51 votes for a vaccine mandate. They could do a national lockdown with 51 votes. If they, and, and then if- you only are relying on the Supreme Court, and it's much harder for the Supreme Court to. Uh, it is much less likely to overturn a uh, you know a, a law passed by Congress and signed by a president. If they can federalize election law, what else can they federalize? All of our rights would be under attack. I want to I want to say for a second about this Georgia law. Remember, Georgia law was the one that caused Major League Baseball to move the All Star Game out of Atlanta and move it to Colorado uh, as a response to all of the rhetoric that the elite owned corporate media pushed on this legislation. And you know, President Biden did call it Jim Crow on steroids. Well. Actually, the law is not that at all. And and I want to talk about a couple of things. First of all, the the way that it was described by President Biden was completely false. He he said things like voting would be ended at 5 o'clock p.m. That's not true. I think he probably knew he was lying when he said it. Didn't he say you couldn't like eat and drink while you're waiting in line? (laughs) <laughs> Two. Yeah, again, not true. Now, <laughs> yeah. now we have seen in, in elections down there where people were allowed to give food, water, etc. to voters. And I, you know, if, if you're honest about it, how can you say that that is not ingratiating yourselves or incentivizing voting for one party or the There's other? There's nothing wrong with giving food or water out to voters as long as you're just a nice person wanting to give food and water to people waiting in a long line. But if you work for a candidate or something, then it shouldn't be allowed. And that's why it was written as such. Uh, The New York Times called it the most extensive restriction of voting access in generations. Actually, as it pertains to absentee voting and early voting, etc., it is less restrictive than the state of Delaware, the president's home state, and, and I'm not sure if it was less restrictive than Colorado, where the All-Star game ended up moving. Uh, but and, Well, I know it's less restrictive than, than a ton of states. Can I ask a question What that I have for you? What's this whole thing with African-Americans not somehow not being smart enough to get IDs or something? I hear well, that it sounds like the, the Democrats are saying this. I don't know. I mean, I know people, such, I have such a diverse set of friends and I've never met anybody that can't get an ID. I think in Georgia, it's free. You can use the utility bill. There's like different things that you can do. I don't, I don't understand how, why like your race determines whether you can get an ID or not. Can you no, explain the, that? Yeah, I'm going to try to. This, well, it's, it's the cynical nature of the Democratic Party. You know, the president said our democracy is under attack by a new way of, or this is not the president, I apologize. This is 
Patagonia, a company, saying a new wave of Jim Crow bills that seek to restrict restrict well, the right to you vote. Can't, you can't tell the difference these days between a left-wing politician and a woke corporation. So True. I, I, can't, I can't blame you for not being able to make that distinction. But, but he did call it Jim Crow laws, the insinuation being that black voters and brown voters, but largely black voters, remember... Look at where this was held today or Tuesday was the uh, it was held on H- HBCU campuses, I believe, at Morehouse. You had that's where Biden went to. Didn't he He go to Delaware State, the historically black college? <laughs> yeah, he was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm referring so, just for our listeners. I'm referring back to another Biden gaffe from during the election. But. Yeah. So <laughs> he, he goes to the HBCU. He has Jackson and Sharpton behind him and he says Jim Crow. So the the implication is, is that Republicans, champions of a lot of the civil rights regis- legislation of the 20th century, the party of Lincoln, do not want black Americans to vote. Listen, it is incredibly insulting. And I think the reason why the de- Democrats are slowly losing their grip on the, on the black vote is that they are infantilizing this demographic. They're saying, well, they can't be expected to get ID cards. They don't say the same thing about poor whites, by the no. way. It's who- so, I mean, the whole thing is so condescending. I mean, it's like, how do, does, does the black community really want to be spoken down to like that and be be treated like a baby that you don't even know how to, you know, so little about how to get through life that you can't even get an ID. I mean, give me a break. And, you know, during this pandemic, we've seen a lot of requirements where they're asking people to show ID to get COVID testing and and to to get vaccinated, et cetera. But we don't expect that for voting. Why not? I mean, I think we all know the reason why not, but the laws that were passed as a response to the massive changes in the 2020 election, just to restore some sanity, one person, one vote. You want to talk about voter disenfranchisement. If people are allowed to harvest ballots, if people can vote without IDs. What about I mean, unmanned, unmanned drop boxes, like all over the place boxes. without, with no like auditing, no one even checks to know that, I mean, somebody could dump a hundred ballots in there that are, that are fake and with no signature requirements and no ID requirements, they're just going to get scanned through the machine just like everything else. It's just beyond the pale. And this is a, a very problematic president in terms of his own history with race. He once bragged about being praised by George Wallace, who, let's not forget, was a Democrat. I think Dr. King was a Republican, by the way. He said uh, he didn't want his kids to be raised in a, in a, uh, a racial jungle. Uh, yep. You remember what he did to Clarence Thomas, the, yes. uh, you know, the high tech lynching of the uh, uppity black man that that, uh, you know, the Democrats were doing to him. So, you know, he's got a pretty bad racial history. He was against and, school. He was, you know, he was against busing and school desegregation and everything. Let's not forget that his own vice president, the, the only memorable thing she did during the election when she was Senator Harris running for president was she called Biden out for his own racism. That was the only soundbite that really got her any bump in the debates. Yeah, and, that, and really, that, little, that little girl was me when yeah. she said, although wasn't she in Montreal or something at the time? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I believe that story as much as I believe the Delaware State thing. Yeah. But it just goes to show that he's a fraud, but it's a desperate act because as, as his agenda died, he now goes to this, and because, he, as you said, he can see what is happening in November. 
It's desperation. It just reeks of desperation. He's doing anything he can to, to keep a grip on power. And we just have to hope that cooler heads prevail. Well, Midnight Ride listeners, call your senators on this one. It only takes one to break from this insanity. Hopefully some of the people who are up for re-election decide not to do it because it won't be good for the Democrats or the Republicans if we start playing games with the filibuster and giving authoritarianism another chance. When we come back, for all of the domestic terrorists that apparently are listening to this podcast, we have an update for you on the latest of the Biden administration's power grabs and maybe their policy of going after their political opponents. Coming back in just a few seconds on the Midnight Ride. So, Paul, I don't know if if the feds are listening in to this podcast. If they are, we might expect a knock on the door. But um, I was reading the paper of record, the nation's paper of record, the New York Post last week, and you may have seen this revelation that so basically the government had a hand in this thing all along, according to the New York Post. Very, uh, very, very scary. I mean, it, it seems like, the, I mean, the whole thing was just manufactured. So the government probably said, well, you know, we don't like these parents. They're pushing back against our COVID policy. You know, they don't, they don't want kids to, to uh, think that white people are evil. So uh, let's stick our agents on them. But we can't just do it. Let's, uh, let's ask the, the school board people to write a letter to us and tell us to do it. And then we'll go do it. I mean, it was like the fix was in. I mean, that's their logic is they, they really wanted to get after these, these people because they saw what was playing out in places like Loudoun County, Fairfax County. I mean, it's not too far away from FBI headquarters in Quantico. Like, let us, let us go out there. Let us start spying on these people. But they needed an excuse. They needed the, parent, the, the school board association to say, hey, please help us. We're being threatened. Of course, the facts on the ground, especially in Virginia, weren't exactly as advertised. Uh, the one gentleman who was arrested, I believe, in, in Fairfax or Loudoun, I'm not sure, it turns out that his daughter was raped in a bathroom by a boy wearing a skirt, which wasn't initially reported. So there was no domestic terrorism at all. It was just parents who were a little bit upset at the insulting nature of the school boards who completely ignored their will. The fact that they, the school boards, you know, are, are asking just shows that it's completely detached from any type of, you know, the people kind of ruling what, what their kids get taught. And I don't know if you saw today, but some news was announced uh, that the DOJ is setting up a new domestic terrorism unit within the national security that, that was last week right yeah. yeah oh yeah yeah last week sorry yeah yeah, yeah. and and they um it, it's you know to to combat the rising threat let me just see what he said here but he said the 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 head of the national security directorate uh, i think jill sanborn said that the domestic domestic violent extremists it's the threat is persistent and evolving the most lethal threat uh, from domestic violent extremists, she said, is posed by white supremacists and anti-government militias. I mean, I have to respectfully disagree with her. You know, the only real acts of domestic terrorism that I've seen in the last year, I think we saw a black nationalist that was trying to attack the Capitol. Uh, I think we saw 
attacks throughout 2020 on federal buildings, which could be labeled domestic terrorism. And that was that was from the left. That was not by white supremacists. So I'm not, to me, this, this, this sounds a lot more political. They're just trying to go after political opponents and, uh, you know, continue to gin up this fear about white people. I, I wish that wasn't the case, that it really boiled down to that. But this is a sad moment in American history. I mean, if we look at 2020 and 2021, you mentioned the black nationalist who killed Capitol Police, at least one, maybe two Capitol Police officers. And that was mentioned on January 6th. And they didn't actually spell out what happened there. But if you if you listen to or maybe you don't listen, but you just see what the federal government is saying and what they're not saying. 2020. Black Lives Matter, a Marxist organization comprised of both black people, white people, probably people of all ethnicities, but certainly a binary, binary, non-binary. Yeah, a a good cross-section of America's youth. But Latinx. Yes, by no means uh, all black, but certainly a lot of black Americans in that group killed 25 Americans, cost $2 billion in damage, had people in the cities of Minneapolis, Portland, Seattle, San Diego, Houston, Los Angeles, New York City, Rochester, uh, the list goes on and on, living in sheer terror, Kenosha, Milwaukee, a, a national phenomena. Then you have Antifa, a largely white anarchist group, and they set fire and, and basically laid siege to a federal courthouse and basically said, look, we are opposed to the federal government. That's not domestic terrorism. BLM is not domestic terrorism. But parents who are angry over racial teachings or their daughters being threatened in public schools, they're domestic terrorists. Terror- um, can I just give the definition here for our listeners? You know, we throw around the the word terrorism, but let me just give you the official definition from the dictionary. Uh, terrorism, it's a noun, the unlawful use of violence and intimidation, especially against civilians in the pursuit of political aims. That seems to me to literally describe Antifa and many uh, parts of Black Lives Matter almost to a T, doesn't it? I mean, tons of intimidation, both online and in person. Lots and lots of violence, burning of police cars, burning of federal buildings, burning of businesses, beating up people that are trying to defend their businesses, and they're in the pursuit of a political aim. Uh, so I, it seems to meet the definition exactly. It, it is the exact textbook definition. I mean, they're out there in the streets saying, burn it down. And, you know, we also talked about last week the the attack on the White House in June or July of 2020, which would also, I think, be another good example of domestic terrorism. As far as January 6th is concerned, were some of those individuals domestic terrorists? Absolutely. I'll stipulate that. And they're being dealt with. But I agree with you, Paul, that... Although if they really are, I mean, I would like to say, I would just like to say if they are truly domestic terrorists, then they should be charged with domestic terrorism crimes. And so and they, far, we haven't seen any. It's been trespassing and parading and things like that, right? 
Absolutely. Uh, so far, it's well, been let's like, not call them terrorists until they well, not just yet. And they got to show the evidence. A lot of the video hasn't been released, but I'll stipulate that. I mean, there were at last count over a hundred, maybe closer to one hundred and forty injured police officers. I saw the video. Some of that is it's clearly political, and there there was violence. So, hey, listen, we need to be honest about this. I, I'm I'm willing to to take them at face value for that. 40-year-old suburban moms at a school board meeting raising their voice? I'm sorry. And you're absolutely right. They are demonizing white Americans as some sort of boogeyman. And this is nothing new for this administration. The Secretary of Defense and the Attorney General both said that white nationalism was a massive threat, maybe the biggest existential threat we faced. I remember Merrick Garland saying that. And the first thing that the Secretary of Defense did when he got into office was an anti-extremism push within the ranks of the Department of Defense. It's almost like they're trying to like make people more extremist and like egg it on. And I don't, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, in my opinion, uh, you know, we still have much bigger threats from ISIS and Al Qaeda and we've got, you know, China. Elite- China, we've got illegal aliens coming across the border that are criminals and who knows who knows what, you know, their angles are with human trafficking and everything else. I mean, to be spending resources on this boogeyman of white supremacy. I mean, it's it's just they're ginning up one fear after another. I mean, I I almost wonder if, you know, it's like they're losing the COVID battle, so let's go back to Let's go back to this again, you know, th- and, and try to have like the next fear du jour, you know, for our political base. I think you're on to something, Paul, because, again, this administration was elected on shutting down the virus. President Biden, yes, he was elected, but he was also sort of selected by the elites. The elites did not want Donald Trump and his populist base having control of this country. And Biden was getting crushed by Pete Buttigieg by Bernie Sanders. I don't think he had any chance at all, but he won South Carolina as predicted. And then overnight, everybody drops out and suddenly he is the anti-Bernie and and he goes on to win with a tremendous amount of resources behind him. And yet he does go hard left and he was elected to do things like forgive student debt, pass some of these Massive spending plans. Give Wasn't free, it like free community college for everybody? Free community college, free pre-K, free, uh, relieving student debt. None of that has happened. And so you, you have a not only are Republicans energized because they can see what, you know, they can go to a supermarket and see empty shelves, $5, ga- $5 for a gallon of gas. The list goes on and on of all the failures of this administration. But the people who pinched their noses and pulled the lever for Biden, they've got nothing. And the one thing that they think that they can count on is to divide us along racial lines. We'll see if it works. We will. Let's see. Let's hope it doesn't. It, let's hope it doesn't. But if not, uh, we might want to get some civil rights attorneys uh, because I think both of you and I have certainly earned the title domestic terrorist, at least in the eyes of the Biden administration. When we come back, I have a solution, I think, to a lot of our political problems, or at least something that can turn down the volume, turn down the volume and turn down the temperature of the coming elections. And I want to bounce it off of you, Paul, and also all of our listeners. You are listening to the Midnight Ride podcast. Paul, there's a lot of talk going on right now about what 2024 
is going to look like. I, I urge all of our listeners not to look that far out. This this thing with the carving out of the filibuster is an existential threat to the republic, and I don't think we should look past this week. But the Democratic Party is certainly looking at 2024. They don't have a lot of options on their side of the aisle in terms of a viable candidate for obvious reasons. But Not a- AOC? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> uh, but, the, but they are certainly looking at the other side. And while they should feel threatened by Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida and a litany of other candidates on the right who are proven executive leaders or have a history of, of common sense, they are focused and fixated on the former president, Donald Trump, and they want to try to bar him from office. Obviously, we saw the second sham impeachment. They tried to prevent him from being able to ever run again. And that was the reason for impeaching a guy who isn't even president anymore. But I'm reading an article, and this came out on January 6th, that, um, and I'm, I'm quoting uh, Salon, apologies. Oh, uh, con- congressional. Oh. So I, who even knows if that quote is real or anything? That's, well, it, but I believe Salon takes fake news to an extreme. They're citing a report in The Hill okay. that at least a dozen Democratic lawmakers have been speaking both publicly and privately about whether or not it would be possible to use Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. That's the Insurrection Act, right? Yes, uh, to, to permanently ban Trump. And I'll, I have my trusty, rusty copy of the Constitution right here that says, no person shall be a senator, a representative, an elector of president or vice president, or hold any office, civil or military, un- under the United States or any state, who, having previously taken an oath as an officer of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same. Of course, this amendment coming in 1868, it was ratified on July 9th of 1868. This was, I think, really meant to deal with Confederates. First of all, before well, I go- can, before- I, can, I, can I tell you something? That, that actually, on, on Monday, uh, which was, I believe, the 10th, uh, that went a step farther in the state of North Carolina, a group of 11 North Carolina voters filed a legal challenge to disqualify Representative Madison Cawthorn from running for a second term, arguing that his involvement in a rally that preceded January 6th uh, and the riot constitutionally bars him from waging another campaign um, under that very same 14th Amendment, you know, on federal grounds. Uh, He didn't have anything to do with storming the Capitol building. No, but the argument would be the same for Trump that they they incited it. And that would be interesting. I I don't think this holds up in court. Interesting, as I'm sitting here looking at Salon, at the bottom of my screen, there's a pop-up that says, join Amy Klobuchar, signatures needed to disqualify Trump from a 2024 presidential run. Sign here now, paid for by Let America Vote. This it's is crazy. This is this is. I mean, this is literally Stalin type stuff. I mean, they're going to use any. I know we're. They're going to use any means necessary to just vanquish and purge uh, any people that they don't agree with. I personally don't agree. I, I I never agreed with after the courts sort of ruled or or uh, said they were not going to hear cases or when things were thrown out of courts. I thought that the president 
should have conceded and, and moved on. And what happened on January 6th, while he did not officially encourage them and he told them to go in peace, et cetera, et cetera, um, I thought more could have been done, not only from him, but from others. Uh, but this is laughable. But I, yeah, I, I mean, that's not, I mean, it, just because he didn't, quote, do enough doesn't mean he aided a fictional insurrection. No, no. And I, and I, and I think this is very cynical. I also think, and I pointed out that thing on the website about sign, sign here. Well, that's how they raise money. They're raising money on trying to stop Trump from even running. And I think they're going to lose on that. I mean, they kneecapped his presidency, certainly by illegally spying on him and impeaching him twice and all of their other stuff. I mean, they really paralyzed our government and now they're, they're trying to stop him from running, and that might be the only thing that that gets people on their side energized because they are failing. Well, good luck to them because they stop him from running. They're going to have to face a bowling ball in Ron DeSantis. Who? Well, which brings know. me to which brings me to my to my suggestion. My favorite president of all time, Ronald is Reagan. Ronald Wilson Reagan, the fortieth president of the United States, the great communicator. And he's up, you know, obviously Lincoln and Washington and, and a few others. But Reagan is my favorite. And I, I, I say that because I'm, I'm going to read something also out of the Constitution. Isn't it funny, um, first of all, that the party of the Confederacy, the party of Reconstruction, the party of Jim Crow are now lecturing us this month about all of this stuff? You know, these are the people who caused the Civil War, who said, I dream of a world where my children will be judged on the content of their character and not the color of their skin. They're playing games. They're doing segregation. They're le- they're legalizing discrimination against races. You and can't it's just, even I, get you can't get COVID treatments if you're white in yeah, New York. That we it's talked just about. Ironic that they're talking about this stuff and invoking the Fourteenth Amendment and invoking the Constitution. They rarely do that, right? Except to try to get power. Well, I have a section of the Constitution right here. It's Article Two, which deals with the executive. Section one, it says no person except a natural born citizen that if you're not 35, you cannot be elected president. Now, here is my proposal. And I think this is something that Paul Runyon and Connor Coughlin are going to be happy with. But I think the Democrats will be happy with it, too. And I think we should try to get the Constitution amended. Okay, we can we can call it the 38th Amendment or sorry, the 28th Amendment that would say that no person shall be elected president who has attained the age of 75. No one over the age of 75 can be elected. Now, I mentioned Ronald Reagan earlier because in his second term, he was in his mid-70s, late 70s, and he, he was experiencing at that time early-onset dementia, Alzheimer's. He was still the commander-in-chief of the U.S. Armed Forces and, and the p- most powerful person in the world, he didn't have all his faculties. Our current president does not have all his faculties. Donald Trump looks like a pretty sharp individual most of the time, but he's 73 years old, I believe. Why not amend the Constitution? If you want to stop Donald Trump from running Democrats, let's amend the Constitution right now and say that no one over the age of 75 can be president. Thoughts? I think it's a great one. Uh, question, would somebody be able to run for a second term or that's if they're over the age or if they're going to be 
crossing the age of 75 during their term? Does that make it an issue? Or do we have any, or is that, will that have to be interpreted by a later Supreme Court ruling after this amendment is passed? Well, I mean, the language in Article 2 of the, of the Constitution says things like, no one other than a natural born citizen or anyone who has been in the United States for 14 years. I think that was written at the time because no one at the time was a natural born citizen of the United States. They were all citizens of England. Boy, um, the, the left must hate that one. They'd, they'd love to have an illegal alien as president. Uh, yes. So, I mean, absolutely, it could be written. Mr. To- Mr. President MS-13. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, I, th- I think it could be written in that basically stating that, no, you cannot, Joe Biden could not be reelected. And frankly, they want, I think they would want that at this point. I think so too. I don't, I, I think we've got, it's, I think it's very important to make sure that our leaders do not, uh, are not suffering from any type of mental decline. Of course, there's that 25th amendment uh, that was paraded around by the left when Trump was in office, that his mental acuities were so far gone that he was unable to be president. They wanted his cabinet to take him out using the 25th yep. Amendment. And so, I think so there I, is that, but the and eight, I, but that becomes so political that I, you know, I don't think that would ever happen. So, you but know, I, I think, think, and I think after uh, Trump was defeated in November of 2020, before Biden was inaugurated, I believe the Speaker of the House. Nancy Pelosi actually brought up the 25th Amendment again. It's something that's certainly hanging over the head of President Biden. At any time, reduce the chances of a politicized 25th Amendment invocation because you would have people like Barack Obama, like George Bush, like Bill Clinton, who are experienced, whether as a governor or have some life. I know Obama did not was not qualified for the office, but you would have people with the energy to do the toughest job in the land. And I know that President Trump showed that he worked very hard. He put in a lot of hours and you couldn't really tell his age by his work ethic. But I think just in a general sense, this proposed amendment would be good for America. And it also has the added benefit of eliminating Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and Hillary Clinton from the 2024 election. I, I think it's a great idea. Um, do you want to hear my amendment? Yes, please. Okay, so I have the, assuming that gets passed as the 28th Amendment, um, this would be the 29th Amendment, and it would say, no member of the United States Senate shall be allowed to run for more than two six-year terms, and no member of the United States Congress should be the House of Representatives, uh, shall be allowed to run for more than three consecutive two-year terms, which would essentially force term limits into the House and Senate, which would also take away some of these dinosaurs like Nancy Pelosi, uh, Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, and allow for fresh blood, new ideas, people that come in optimistic and it becomes less about political power and holding on to your job as this permanent politician and have you have the opportunity to come in for a short amount of time, make a difference in leadership, in your community, in government, and then go back to your private sector jobs. Connor, what say you? 
Oh, uh, I think that that is in the spirit of the founding fathers. I think if we went back and asked, you know, the Ben Franklins and the the Sam Adams, John Adams, those kind of people, they would say, we wanted you to do that. You mean it's not like that? Uh, they didn't write it into the Constitution, but they certainly envisioned a case where the legislators were farmers or businessmen and they would go to Washington. And They, they, they didn't, didn't want, yeah, they didn't want a permanent political class that no. ruled over over the country. They wanted this to be a government formed of, for, and by the people. And these this permanent political class essentially is so uh, separate and detached from the average American person that, that, you know, the rules that they pass aren't in the best interests of the country anymore. Term limits, the only way we're going to solve that. Name a committee in the House of Representatives. Uh... The uh, yeah the spe- the special committee on January sixth. <laughs> uh, well, that one that one is that was that one's a little unique. But I'll I'll, I'll say I'll Benghazi say that, Benghazi. Oh wait, say, that one. I'll, I'll say the House Armed Services Committee. Okay. Yes. So the House Armed Services Committee is chaired by Adam Smith of Washington, who is in his thirteenth term, and and this is a this is a. A representative who has been a strong advocate, especially for military uniform members and families, 25 years, okay? And in order to get his chairmanship, and the ranking member is, uh, who is the ranking member of the of the HASC? I, I couldn't even tell you. But the Republican who is the ranking member, both of those individuals, to get those positions on the committee, were required by their legislative committees, the, the Democratic Congressional Committee and the Republican Congressional Committee to raise a certain amount of money. Essentially, each congressman in the House of Representatives and in the Senate are required to spend roughly two of every five days, I'm not making this up, in a phone bank raising money. And the people who raise the most money get the chairmanships. And the the more money you raise, the more important committees you get. So the House Appropriations Committee, I think, is the most important one. You raise the most money there, you get on the Appropriations Committee. Tell me that's not a recipe for corruption, especially if you have people who've been there for 12, 13 terms. And I'm, I am not implying that Representative Smith is corrupt. I think he's a good congressman. But my point still stands that you're required to fundraise to get these positions. And there is a lot of undue influence from lobbyists and uh, big, you know, big corporate interests. I have a better one for you. The current chair of the House Financial Services Committee, the one and the only Maxine Waters, who has been in Congress since 1991. So we're going on 31 years. And I think I don't even, we don't even need to talk about Maxine Waters like you talked about Adam Smith. I think Paul, I think. I think that's an argument. Maxine Waters being chairman of that committee is an argument for term limits all by itself. I, I, I was just going to say, Paul, you just basically sealed the deal on that. That is, Maxine Waters is a prime example of why we need to pass your constitutional amendment. And I think, you know, if we pass those two, I think America is in a much better place. Listen, folks, Paul, you're more educated than I am. You could probably tell me what it takes to to get well, a I can, con- And I have an interesting I, I did want to talk about that for a minute. OK, go ahead. OK, so in order to pass a constitutional amendment, it is a very, very difficult process. And we have not had a constitutional amendment passed, I think, 
I think 1991 may have been the last one, which was, I mean, those 19, were 1992, 1992, the, right? The, tw- the 27th amendment, which says that no law varying the compensation for the services of senators and representatives shall take effect until an election of representatives shall have intervened. So okay. I guess they can't change their pay until the next election. I think so. I mean, I, it's an interesting amendment. I mean, I guess, I guess they don't, it's fine that they did that, but it doesn't seem to be like, uh, you know, an extremely consequential one. Now, what I would like before that it was 1971. And that was the one which changed the voting age federally to 18. So it's, it's been a long time since we've had anything of consequence added to the constitution. And why is that? Well, it is a very difficult process. So an amendment uh, that's proposed um, by the Congress, uh, it's got to be proposed with a two-thirds majority vote in both the House of Representatives and the Senate. It can also be done by a constitutional convention called for by two-thirds of the state legislatures. You may have heard that. That's, I think that's a, that's a hard one to do. Um, none of the 27 amendments have ever been proposed by constitutional convention. So the uh, amendment becomes ratified uh, and becomes part of the Constitution as soon as it is ratified by three-fourths of the states, not two-thirds, but three-fourths. So that's 38 of 50 states. So um, you would have to have you know a huge number to do that. Now, um, so once, what was- what, once a state you know, proposes it, it sort of sits out there. Once they pass the, you know, they do it. They, I think they can also sort of withdraw it also, but it's gotta be, it's gotta be three fourths. Now I just recently had heard some talk, you know, people saying that, you know, that in this day and age, 75% to pass a constitutional amendment is such a high bar that it would almost never happen. And people have said, maybe we reduce that to two thirds but then I, I worry a lot about, I mean, a constitutional amendment should be really hard to do. It, it right? should be. And, you know, 75%. So 75% of the Congress has to vote in favor of it? No, no. Two-thirds of the Congress. Two-thirds. And 75%, 75% of the states. Sure. The states. Now, don't you think my proposed amendment could garner that support? Again, first of all, just on, on, its, on its face, it's common sense. You don't want your great-grandfather in charge of the nuclear arsenal uh, a guy that has to take seven naps a day can't sit across the table from Vladimir Putin and lead our country. It's just common sense. It but is. It, it but is. But if you tell if you tell the Democrats, listen, Donald Trump can't run if you pass this. You you, you got to give up Hillary, Bernie, and and Biden. But I think they take that deal, and I think both sides can agree on this. Okay, here's my issue. I think in theory, I think you're being very optimistic, but but let's be honest here. The Senate and the Congress are 539 narcissists that all look in the mirror every day and say, I want to be president. I'm going to be president of the United States one day. And I'm very worried that if you say, okay, 70 year olds are now disqualified, you're going to have a whole bunch of people in their 60s and 70s, which there are a lot of. 75. Yeah, which have this dream, maybe even in their 50s, that look at it down the line and are going to say, 
that's disqualifying myself from being president. And in, they may not look at what's best for the country. They may say, that's not fair. I've been doing this. My mind's going to be good at 70. I don't have a problem with it. And, you know, the term limits one, I mean, that would be an even harder one because, you know, Maxine Waters is never going to to say that uh, she would do it unless maybe you did it as as uh, new people that were newly elected. Like anyone that's in there now is grandfathered to run forever, but any new people coming in have to abide by term limits. Maybe, maybe, maybe we grandfather like that. that one just to get their support. Yeah, Listen, or, we- or even for the president thing, maybe you like grandfather you know, you make it go into effect in like 10 or 15 years or something. I just, you got to get around the narcissism of our, of our political leaders. Perhaps, but sometimes what happens in real life can influence the minds of voters. Watching this old man eating ice cream and, and avoiding the press at record levels. I mean, it just came out this week that he's done fewer press conferences than <laughs> any read, press. Read, read the bill. Oh, let's do some push-ups. <laughs> Sorry. I, Joe I, Biden just just uh, took over my body. I did that. I did that. We can yeah. get it. Three, three billion dollars. Three trillion dollars. <laughs> so seeing that and seeing watching all this, after a couple more years of this, I think most Americans will say, you know what? I support this. And if they pressure their representatives, maybe they can get it done. And also, you know, all politics is local. If you start at the state level and get your state behind something, maybe we can get that constitutional convention. We have a poll up right now on our Twitter feed at Midnight Ride Pod. You can vote on whether or not you would be in favor of either of these amendments. There's a couple of tweets out there. So go ahead and register your thoughts on these amendments. And uh, as we close the show, I would like to tell you to register your thoughts on our show by giving us a rating hopefully five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell a friend and uh, let's keep this thing going. We've had a a good start to 2022 and we certainly want to thank you all for listening to The Midnight Ride. Paul, any final thoughts as we uh, close the week? No, but I'm impressed to see the audience growing. The Midnight Ride is starting to get popular uh, nationwide and I would look to all of you across the country, please continue to to tell your friends about us. We are not in this for the money. We are in this to make this country a better place for everybody. Does not matter if you are Democrat, Republican, independent. We are all about you as an individual and allowing you to live your best life. That's why we're here. Yep, we're here for the U.S. Constitution, this great republic which we grew up in. We want to try to preserve it as best we can. And we thank you for listening. And we hope to see you next